Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to VS Energy's BMS podcast with Mark Sankey, Rich Fish, Fabio Bendana, and myself, Clayton Ferry. In today's podcast, we'll be discussing the design of open systems for high-performance retrofits of existing systems. And before we dive into it, I'm going to let Fabio Bendana introduce himself and give us a little bit about a little bit of background about himself. So, Fabio, hi Clayton. Thank you for having me um, in your program. Uh, so my name is Fabio Bendana. I am originally from Nicaragua. I have been in the United States since I was 14 years old. I studied all my high school years uh, were spent in the United States and also all my college careers. I have a master's degree in chemical engineering. Um, I have a master's degree in architecture. Um, I have been widely publicized as an architect. And also I have published three books that have to do with my travels outside of the United States, around the world. I have uh, worked in about 53 countries, all in architecture and, and, and construction. Um, I'm also a, a painter, which, which is one of my favorite hobbies. And whenever I can, I like to spend some time in the, in the kitchen cooking and enjoying my family. Man, Fabio, I just learn a little bit about you every time we talk. <laughs> There's so much. It's just incredibly interesting. With that being said, I suppose we'll start by going around the, the room, we'll call it the virtual room, and discussing what each individual thinks is the most important element in design for higher performance retrofits of existing systems. So, Mark, do you want to start off? Well, I think the most important element for good design of existing systems is boots. Because without boots, you can't go on the job site and see exactly what's there, examine the foundation, the underpinnings of the mechanical systems, the electrical systems, the controls, to be able to determine exactly what's there. I, I will basically say without the, the boots on the ground and physical examination of what's there, the project will not be as successful as it could be. Mark, I have to agree uh, 100%. That is, to me, the most important thing on a retrofit of existing system as well, being able to survey, identify the vintage communication protocol, network topology, state of the control end devices, their state of functioning, their compatibility, all of those things are key. And that all is only found by getting on the site, spending the time doing an in-depth survey. And I'm not talking about like, you know, a one hour walkthrough, oh, here's this air handler and there's that control panel. You gotta be opening every control panel. You gotta be looking at the end devices. You gotta see what the network structure is. Are they connected to any kind of building IP structure or is it a standalone BMS structure? All of those things are key elements that have to be identified up front. I'm 100% in agreement with you two guys. I think the best or the most important thing is to have that foundation, that base, to be able to you know, recognize what has happened during the lifetime of 
the equipment that you're retrofitting and also set the goals. That investigation or that survey comes with a lot of challenges. And one of the challenges is most of these systems are enclosed in spaces which you cannot see. And therefore you have as-built drawings, as-built drawings perhaps not do not reflect what was installed. And then the second challenge is that sometimes clients don't actually want to pay for that, for that level of survey. So we as professionals, we have to be able to be, to, you know, to be able to do that within our, you know, within our scope and do it correctly so that whenever we engage the project, then we don't have problems for ourselves and for our clients. Yeah. And all three of you gentlemen, I completely agree with the statement that boots on the ground is the most important aspect of a successful project. And Fabio, to kind of go off what you said, it, and I think we've touched on this in previous podcasts, but it seems to be that as an owner, not paying for that upfront research tends to be more expensive at the end once you find out that the homework wasn't done and now we need to change what was our, you know, originally intended as a design. And the, the trick at that is to get the customer to understand that you will pay a dollar for this upfront. If you don't do this, you're going to pay $10 for it on the back end. Getting them to understand that and convince them that of that value and how much that contributes to a successful project is very key. Uh, you guys didn't have to agree agree with me. My second choice was going to be coffee. That fuels the boots, though, right? That's, well, that was my thought process: is you have to take the time to do all that. And Rich, you're right that the challenge is to convince the owner that you know we are building the foundation, and if we build that foundation based on incorrect information what we end up with will not be very strong or very complete. So when does that tie into drafting the OPR owner's project requirements document? So that OPR is, uh, you know, the fundamental document driving what the project has to do when it's done, you know, what functions, what in terms of how long we expect it to last, what technologies we expect it to incorporate, what performance we expect it to have in terms of equipment controlled, what kind of environment we want to have within the building. And, you know, in deference to Fabio's architectural experience, uh, when owners give direction for construction, I'm sure, Fabio, there's a list of building requirements for the building in totality that you have to put together, which is basically the owner's project requirements. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, you have... It's it's a it's a list of requirements. It's a list of performances. You have goals as well. You have to worry about budgets and timelines. So it, it is a very it's a very comprehensive document. Very important. And a lot of times, these documents are put together either by either consultants or the same um, staff that work for the owner or for the client. And those are things that just because it is written in a piece of paper and it comes from the owner, it doesn't mean that it is correct. So even that you have to ask, you know, we go to the site and as we verify the field conditions, 
we also have to verify what has been written in this in these sort of guidelines so that the project does make sense and so that the project does meet the goals that are set forth. Right. So the OPR and boots on the ground kind of go, they, they go hand in hand. Yes, absolutely. We'll move on to the next topic of discussion, which is the assessment of existing systems. And I know we covered this briefly, especially Fabio previously, but when you're assessing an existing system, being critical is obviously of the utmost importance. And can you guys speak to what very broadly some key aspects are to identify? Obviously, some of the things that we talked about when we were identifying what we thought was the most important aspect is understanding what the existing network topology is, whether it is an an open protocol. Can that topology be reused? Does it need to be replaced? Getting in there, and, and this is something that I try to do and it goes to a point of the using less experienced team members. I prefer not to have my salesman by himself whenever he goes out to do a survey. I like to have our technology leader out there with him, putting a sniffer on that network, seeing what you know uh, information is exposed. Are all the backnet points exposed or are there a minimum amount of points exposed? Is the existing topology one that really will serve the the customer moving forward? With systems these days, we still see a lot of MSTP networks out there, field-level networks. So you get a lot of systems that are two-tier networks. The push today is to get to a flat network and have all of that operating on a peer-to-peer basis where you've got the functionality driven down to the the standalone capability of every controller so that no controller is dependent on another controller for its capability to do what it needs to do. Can that be done with the existing structure that's there or do we need to abandon that structure and put in a new structure that supports that? No one is developing new product based on MSTP anymore. It's an old technology. RS-485 has been around forever. It has its limitations and it is a disappearing technology. So when we're doing this high performance, you know, retrofit of an existing system, are we doing the customer any service by reusing that type of technology or are we going to abandon that and go to a more future-proof technology? Those are the things that when I'm doing an assessment that I believe are, are critical things to understand as well as the, the life of and compatibility and, and current state of the end devices. Uh, even looking at going beyond just the BMS and looking at the mechanical systems, is this air handler worth putting new controls on or should you be looking at putting some kind of capital project together to replace equipment. The old saying is that you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear definitely applies, particularly if you're going into an older building that they're looking to retrofit their controls, but may not have equipment that is really worth retrofitting controls on. I agree with you. Um, Looking at the future, 
I think is, is, is a key component here. And you have to have certain level of discussions with the owner as far as what is it that is expected. Sometimes, you know, putting a capital uh, program could be a difficult thing because, well, the money might not be there. But again, showing, as we said earlier, showing what the, the, the benefit and what the lifetime of either retrofitting the, the existing or putting a new one, those are things that need to be uh, analyzed and put on the table before those decisions are, are, uh, are taken. You know, every, every owner is different. Uh, in, my, in one of my last projects, it was, it was kind of interesting. The guy, and it was, this was a, a government project, the guy that was heading the whole program, he was due to retire in, in 10 years. And he told us flat out, listen, whatever we do, I want to make sure that it's good for 10 years. After 10 years, I don't care. <laughs> so <laughs> you, get, you get into all these situations, you know, that it is very difficult for consultants to really either convince or, or, or to get our, our points across. Nonetheless, we have to do our due diligence and we have to advise them, hey, you know, you said it's 10 years, but if you do this, maybe you can, you know, everything... You know, unfortunately, not because you're uh, retiring that the the premises is going to cease to exist, and you shouldn't leave the problems to whoever comes after you. Uh, that is kind of like being a politician. But <laughs> so you have to uh, you, you have to really um, assess, and you have to be very thorough with your recommendations. A lot of consultants they they don't want to take that road because it is either more work or it puts you on the line as, as far as certain recommendation that maybe have liability onto it. But, you know, we should always be sincere and as, prof you know, as professional as possible to be able to tell the client, hey, you know, A does this, B does this, C does that. We also have to we're responsible for for our clients pockets so if we have a system that can be retrofitted and it can meet the goals then i think that you know it, it is something that needs to be looked at first i would agree and, and i guess i'll comment on why documentation of existing systems is important from a non-technical non-owner perspective and really from uh, kind of personal perspective, I guess, but from where I'm at and, uh, you know, I am towards the end of my career, I think the surveys that, that typically we do for building retrofits where we're looking at mechanical systems, sometimes very obsolete mechanical systems, looking at controls, sometimes num uh, multiple generations of controls are probably the best teaching environment for engineers in this business that you can find. So during the time that we're doing building assessments, and I do quite a few my, of my own uh, that I do with other folks, that is an opportunity for us to impart knowledge to younger engineers that 
if you just send them out on their own, many times they have no idea what they're looking at. It's an obsolete piece of equipment that maybe hasn't even been manufactured for 20 years. And that's an opportunity to teach, explain, under, let them understand what the new modern replacements might be, if it can be retrofitted to be more efficient or it just goes out into the scrap pile. And I think it's our responsibility as senior people and with lots of experience to pass some of that on and even pass on the, the work ethic and the commitment to really doing projects right. Yeah, I can fully attest to that, Mark. A lot of stuff that I have learned has been in the field with you, you know, looking at old existing systems that you need to you need to understand to be able to either a design a, a good retrofit for or even if you're replacing it you need to understand how these systems function and how they can what you can do to make them function more efficiently and you know what other options are if they're not the best uh system you know you could go from just a primary loop chilled water system and that's how it used to be just one single loop to a primary secondary so, you know, you're not just going to replace a chiller. You might be better off changing the whole configuration to run more efficiently. The point, too, of you know, why reviewing drawings is insufficient as a basis uh, to design from, depending upon the age of the facility, the drawings may be so outdated that they don't reflect the actual current installation as well as it doesn't give you a means of assessing the condition of the system that you're looking at replacing or upgrading. And it leads me to a question, actually, because I'd like to hear the answer. Why are as-builts more harm than help? It's the, it's the years, right? I mean, you have... <laughs> You have the airport, which is which is finished uh, one a year and a half ago. One of the big problems was exactly that. It was the the record drawings. They could have been correct at the time where they finished the last capital improvements, but then twenty years, thirty years, this thing has grown like weeds <laughs> all over, and then you really just don't know what has been added on to, what has been taken off. And it's, you know, it's, um, it's a huge challenge. And going back to, my, to, to the beginning when I started, when I, you know, what I said about the owners not wanting to pay for that thorough investigation since they have paid for the as-bills and perhaps as-bills of, things that have been either retrofitted or added or deleted, they think that their drawings are actually correct. It's a big challenge. I completely agree, Fabio. I've seen it, you know, for the small amount of time I've been in the industry, I've, I've seen it firsthand. It is a huge challenge. So rolling into our next topic of discussion, what generally can be reused in existing systems retrofits? Um, Rich, Sounds like you are a subject matter expert in this, so I'll let you take the ball. Thanks, Clayton. Typically, depend and again, very age dependent. There are a lot of things that have uh, that are components of a BMS system that have exceptionally long lifespans. Some of these things, uh, particularly when you get into the electronic world, uh, damper actuation, um, pressure switches. 
uh, things that are mechanical in nature, and, and even a lot of electronic stuff uh, like temperature transmitters, certainly thermistors and or RTDs that are direct wire uh, typically have extremely long lifespans if they're a compatible technology or you know have a compatible uh, you know uh, reading curve to them they can always be reused oftentimes the enclosures that house controls modules per se the, the actual hardware those can be reused uh, unless it's a Johnson Metasys system those things can never be reused but uh, certainly, uh, we often look to be able to reuse wiring, even if we are replacing sensors or actuators, wiring that's been installed you know, in a quality manner, conduit, protecting it. Reutilize everything that is in good condition that can contribute to an economical project. And that's typically those general things. Even uh, transformers and power supplies. Typically with electronics, if it doesn't fail within the first couple of weeks, doesn't get sprayed by water or, or, or slammed into by a forklift, they typically last for a considerable period of time. The technology probably outstrips the actual failure rate. So those are generally the things that we look to reuse in existing system retrofits. When we run into systems that still have pneumatically mode of operation for damper actuators, control valves, things like that. We're typically looking at the possibility of if the project can economically bear it, replace those with electronic, do away with the compressed air system, which particularly if they're older compressed air systems, they are very inefficient, costly to maintain and operate, and certainly the electronic technology today for actuation as a motive force is sufficient, stable, and long-lasting that uh, there's no need to rely on pneumatics anymore. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I think it comes back to the point where we started this podcast is boots on the ground. So that obviously takes the time and the, the right people in the field reviewing the existing systems, identifying where accessible pathways are, you know, control cabinets, uh, power sources, actuators, et cetera, to determine what can stay in place for a, a retrofit project. And I think the time spent for boots on the ground, obviously it will save a lot of money at the end to identify those. I would add on to that, that as you commission a existing system retrofit, like many times, as Rich said, the switching devices, the mechanical devices like freeze stats, fire stats, smoke detectors, those are typically reused and they have a, a very long life. That said, we require 100% commissioning. That is, every single device will be tested. Every freeze stat, basically to its limit, the high limit thermostats, smoke detectors, etc., to make sure they're both functional and performing their intended operation of turn, of shutting down the unit, closing dampers, et cetera. But how do you guarantee that, uh, Mark? You mean how do we, we actually physically test them? Yeah, because you, you, you have, you have, you're retrofitting, right? You're putting new, you're composing the whole, the, the, the whole project yet you have existing devices 
that, that you're leaving in place. I mean, raceways are raceways, right? I mean, th those, you know, you have to make sure that they are clipped correctly and, you know, whatever. But if you have, if you have a device, it could be acting or it could be functional at the time when you're commissioning. But what guarantees you that, that you know, six months or even three months down the road, this thing is going to shut down? Well, I mean, especially in the case of free stats, fire stats, if they haven't been disturbed, if they haven't had capillary elements or sensing elements broken or anything like that, honestly, they last for a very long time. So if we can test them with the Freon and make sure that they trip when we subject them to low temperature or the, the fire stats, the high limits to uh, high temperature, they last quite a while. Honestly, after testing, I've never seen one fail. But that said, if any part of those does fail, usually it's the electrical section, the contact break or the phenolic cracks. And at that point, you just say replace it during the uh, retrofit process. That's usually pretty evident. The other thing that uh, we see quite often is manual, I'm sorry, automatic reset free stats, which, I mean, they were out there for a long time and kind of, uh, we generally don't like those and always specify auto, uh, manual reset. So if we see automatic reset thermostats, uh, free stats, we usually recommend that they're, or specify that they're replaced during the retrofit project. So Mark, to add, to build off of Fabio's question, how many times, you know, going through an existing facility uh, walkthrough, have you found that the existing safety devices or safety interlocks are not functional actually, when you go to see, does this free stat shut this unit down or, uh, you know, fire stat or anything of that matter? I haven't seen very many times where they weren't functional. I have seen plenty of times where they've been either taken out of the circuit or jumped out. So the device itself is still functional or if it has failed or what have you, they just jump it out. So the safety interlock as a, as a control doesn't work. Correct. Yeah. It is an unfortunate occurrence in, in many operation of buildings that the building operators do things to physically disable parts of the system as a convenience to themselves or to meet a, a particular or solve a particular problem that really is deeper rooted. I can't tell you how many times, as Mark said, you, you've gone and the, the free stat has jumped out. It's not because the free stat was bad. It's because the free stat was tripping and shutting the unit down. And instead of addressing why is the free stat tripping, they jump it out to keep the unit running because they don't want the unit off. Or, you know, putting a two by four in the dampers so that the outdoor air dampers can't open. Or, you know, it's it just, you see that all the time. And certainly if I see something like that on a smoke detector, I'll immediately shake my head at the at the maintenance guy and say, really, you're jumping out a life safety device? That is an unfortunate thing. People have gotten, obviously, with the ability to override things on DDC, doing it through the control system now, not as much doing it physically as it used to be. 
but it's it's a fact of life that they take oftentimes the the shortest path to resolving their pain without digging into what really is causing that pain. So from the standpoint of those devices, you know, seeing them actual as failures, it's a very, it, to me and everything that I've looked at over the years on safety devices like high pressure cutouts, DP switches, free stats, smoke detectors, it's got to be less than 1% of what uh, I've looked at that was actually the device failed. It's If it's not functioning, it's usually because someone has disabled it due to some other underlying cause. That makes sense. I mean, they are life safety devices, so they should be manufactured in a manner that they, they rarely fail. Fabio, I've never designed a whole building and you have, but I, I'm going to presume that the design steps are very similar where you start with the macro, big picture, here's what we want for an end objective, and then work your way down through each portion of the the project, including hardware, software. The challenge becomes in a retrofit, describing the areas where uh, specific elements are reused, where there will be new, and where that interface takes place. And that requires a significant amount of work. If there is an existing system that is to be integrated to, then the integration has to be fully defined in terms of what hardware, what software is expected, what's permissible, what's not permissible, and exactly what interoperability is expected post the retrofit and integration. There are instances, for example, where the only mechanism for integrating legacy, a legacy specific legacy system might be a um, translator or a gateway of some kind. I think that it's incumbent upon the consultant to investigate what technologies are feasible, what, are, what operate, what don't operate, and to what extent. Typically, when you leave those kinds of uh, items open for interpretation by a contractor, you'll get the cheapest one, period. That's what you'll get. And whatever functionality you'll get, that's what you get. So there are some specific design considerations uh, along that guideline where you're interfacing old with new, and that's where particular and specific care is required by the design engineer. Yeah, Mark, I... I I agree with you. One thing that is very important is codes, energy requirements. And those are things that sometimes they, um, it, it is a primordial. Uh, if, if you're a good consultant, that's, it's going to be, if it's not the first one, it's going to be the second item that you're going to be looking into. That's right. If you're retrofitting, you might be grandfathering into a system and, and that can have consequences as far as, well, definitely the design, but you know that design also has a financial aspect of it. So analyze the code, um, your codes, your local codes, state codes, that's a first thing in the list. Performance, definitely. And like you said, you do start with the with the macro, with the whole idea, with the concept, and then you're narrowing down 
to the individual systems or to the individual parts of the systems, in my case, parts of the buildings, systems of the buildings, such as the BMS. Um, so codes, again, it, it's a very, very important aspect of, uh, of a retrofit um, and new design as well. Rich, do you have anything to add to that? Typically, once we've gone through all the information gathering and everything and, and have an assessment of what's there, I typically like to start with a meeting with the owner to basically give them that assessment of what they have and explain to them what can be reused, uh, what, you know, understand their expectations as far as longevity of stuff that gets reused and who's going to be responsible for things that uh, during the process of the, the project may found, find to be defective. And then actually once I've determined all of that and have, you know, everybody on the same page with the owner and, you know, who's working on design, typically I kind of jump then to, down to the equipment to figure out what I'm doing at the equipment level and then how that gets networked back before I, I kind of build my network structure because I can't really determine that until I know what I'm applying at the equipment. So it's kind of, you start at the macro level, jump down to the equipment level and then come back to the overall system level. No, it makes perfect sense. And I think that'll roll us into kind of our, our next topic of discussion pretty well. So if you if you do take all the steps, do your research and do your homework, and you design a system properly, you manage the, the design and installation and the systems installed properly, downtime and invasiveness of installation, it can be pretty minimal. And I think a lot of building owners may be concerned of that, of what it will take, the downtime associated with it, and obviously the invasiveness. And I know different facilities have different situations and it might not be one entity that does the design and the installation and the management of the installation. But if you guys want to speak to that as a, as a whole, if it's done right, it's not, it's not a horrible process. Dependent upon the condition of all the elements that you may be reusing or replacing. If you get into a, a situation where your final control elements are in need of replacement, you have to be very careful in how you plan around that because if you're taking away all cooling capacity, you know, if you're replacing a, a, a chill water valve or something, if you're taking away heating capacity by replacing valve on the hot side, or if you're a D, it's a DX system and you're upgrading compressors, those things can be a lot more invasive than just going in, you're reutilizing everything and you're just replacing control hardware and software. That can be very, you know, planned out. You can, you know, pre-install your, your network structure. Oftentimes you can pre-install your hardware, have your programming kind of built and tested and then you just migrate all your devices over to the new piece of equipment and downtime is very minimal. I've seen it work very well in some cases. Uh, a recent project just a few years ago, a large 
commercial building in downtown Pittsburgh that had very large built-up air handling systems. All of the sensors that needed to be replaced were installed new next to the old ones. The wiring conduit, everything brought back to the control panel locations, the new hardware installed. And then when we were ready to do a cutover, you know, schedule it for a time that doesn't disturb the operation of the occupants in the building, shut down, migrate all your wiring over to the new device, start it up, typically a weekend type thing, back up and operating. And it was very uninvasive to the operation and occupants of the building. Yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense. So you're, you're going, you're going into a project and you're going in with a scalpel and not a chainsaw essentially. So it takes precision and time to kind of have a, a integration project or, you know, anything designing using existing systems. It, it requires you to be surgically precise as opposed to just ripping things out and putting new things in. And you just explained how that can be done it, very effectively, I would say. I think the same thing holds true for architectural project, right, Fabio? When you're building on, adding on, connecting to existing buildings, maybe the scalpel's bigger, but it's still a scalpel, not a chainsaw. Correct. The facing is, it's, uh, it's very, very important. I mean, here at the, at, at the airport, I keep going back to the airport because it's one of the most recent ones. And having the airport being functional 100% of the time and trying to commission new parts of the buildings, it, it was a challenge, but it's, it, was very, it was very timely. It was very um, synchronized. Um, and I think that the owner appreciate all our efforts. So that that the the facing and you you have to always think the macro, right? The whole the whole picture because you have your goals, and you have to know where where is it that you're, what is it that you're going to be commissioning, how is that going to affect the rest of the building, um, and how you're able to do that at that particular time and in, in, in space. That's uh, it, it takes some. It takes a lot of planning and a lot of experience to be able to do that seamless. Yeah, and I think you brought, you brought up a great point. I didn't even think about was the phasing, which is huge to be able to do that with a facility already in operation and not bring down operations. Some projects have to be broken out into multiple phases. Right, and the retro, the, the retrofits particularly are very uh, are very um, very keen on that on on that phasing because not all the time. I mean, if you're doing a hospital, you can't take the whole hospital down. And sometimes you do retrofits in, in, in situ in, you know, in place. Uh, Sometimes you have to, you know, block off part of, of, of the building or some rooms or some system. And you always have to have that function of the building. So it's, um, it's, it's sort of like, putting a puzzle together and knowing already knowing all the pieces that's that's would be a you know an analogy you already know all the pieces you know already where they go it's just not finding things here and there and trying to figure it out you already know because you already have a design and a plan yeah or like a game of chess you know you know all of your moves already you just have to do them one step at a time <laughs> to get to the end 
exactly. And not, not every funny thing, right? Uh, I've been talking about that for the past two weeks with, with, with some people, some situations, you know, you do plan. And because buildings are inhabited with people or by people, then things don't necessarily happen the way, sometimes the way you plan it. Sometimes you get up, you know, that add curveball and you have to be prepared for it. And only experience can get you there. That's true. Very true. With that being said, everything we discussed kind of all ties into the design of open systems for high performance retrofits of existing systems and the successful design and installation of that. And it all starts with the importance of boots on the ground, having a well-defined owner's project requirements document, and an experienced team involved from start to finish. So stay tuned for our next episode. We'll discuss IoT versus dedicated in-house networks. Thank you very much.